Hey, welcome to 42 Podcasts. I go by the name of Desh, and today I'm speaking to a young scientist from University of Sydney, Peter Labadev. We tackle everything from NASA, the Russian space program, the Australian space program. Is nuclear a good idea? Science denialism, among many other things. I had great fun talking to Peter. So here it is. Hey, Peter. Welcome to This Is 42 Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So, Peter, who are you? That's a really good <laughs> and deep and existential question. Who is anyone? Uh, no, okay. So, so I am I am a human being. I'm mainly made out of carbon, and I have I, there's a lot of water, like 70, 80 percent, something like that. Uh, I'm currently a PhD student at uh, the University of Sydney in the School of Physics, and I'm studying. Uh, I'm doing a PhD in physics education research. So basically, I'm part of a group that's trying to figure out how to teach physics better. Right. And I'm a you know a science communicator in my spare time. Right. Right. Great. I'm going to start off with an easy one. Okay. Um, your name suggests Peter Maximovich Lebedev. Yeah. That there is a Russian connection. Yes, there is a Russian connection. And your, your, your T-shirt tells me NASA. <laughs> so... <laughs> Where does your <laughs> where do my allegiances, allegiances lie? lie. <laughs> <laughs> because you'd be a traitor. <laughs> my allegiance lies with humanity, right? And science and exploration and all these cool things. So I know I, I jokingly said that, yeah, but, sure, sure. but Russia mm-hmm. used to have, and I think to a certain degree, still has a very interesting, um, you know, space program yeah now the last thing i read was the soyuz crash yeah you know there was like a bit of a crash happening but the point is nasa is sort of universal you know when i was in sri lanka 20 years ago i knew about nasa but i don't, I don't even know what the name of the space agency for russia yeah russia's space agency is still ridiculously good right right up until a couple of days ago <laughs> which is which 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 we should talk about talk anyway about, yes. uh, so so the the, the soyuz yeah. right is the only way that uh, people can get to the international space station right now really right and it has been that way since the shuttle retired wow right so for the last uh, what like 10 something years so i remember so let, 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 this yeah. is a good place to start so i read about the accident that happened but i think you can explain it better than you know what i read was uh, i feel like something superficial like you know something went wrong and they had to crash so they have to basically abandon the whole yeah. flight so what really happened how i understand it and from what i've read uh the basically there was a problem with one of the engines in the soyuz right which is the the, the, the capsule that right. uh, takes people to the iss and it was actually really strange there was a two-person crew right, right? it's usually a three-person crew that goes up uh and they had to abort uh, at a certain time and basically they, they, they just there's a um, kind of an escape thing escape mechanism where there's just these smaller engines that are just kind of explosively you know rip the wow the where 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 the people are to keep them safe so which brings to the point so the only way all of humanity to connect to the International Space Station is this one organization that right now yes right and is there I'm sure, I would be surprised, like, isn't anyone else... Boeing and SpaceX. Boeing and, okay. Right, so, so SpaceX and Boeing are both contracted to, uh, like, yeah, I think it's like next year and 2020, respectively, right. I think SpaceX is first. Right, right, right. So that's actually something SpaceX has have been working on for, right. you know, the last couple of years, okay. right? Um, and 
How do you think that is going to affect the Russian space program moving forward? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like that, that's that's really interesting. I'm not uh, an expert, sadly, right. in the Russian space program. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that, that's a big part of uh, you know the, the the Roscosmos. That's the name of the Russian space program. Uh, what is it again? Uh, Roscosmos. So uh, what does that mean? Uh, Russia space like cosmos is right. uh, okay. space fine, in right, Russian right, right. right. Um, and uh, you know we were speaking earlier another little fun thing I learned today is Russia is very good at naming <laughs> things it's literal yeah 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 so so all of the kind of the landers and orbiters that um, Russia sent you know for, for if it's the moon it's Luna like one two three one two three right right so so yeah the moon one two three or <laughs> Venera Right, like up until like eighteen or something, right? right. So, so like Venus, Venus fourteen, right? right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, okay. So from Russia to America, and to Australia, really, because I mean, we were all, you know, I think for for a certain degree, I'm not a scientist, but I had an affinity towards NASA. NASA is this yeah. amazing sort of enterprise, but in Australia, there. It was an announcement not so long ago that we're going to have our own space agency. Yeah, about a year ago. Yeah, and right now we don't have a cool, you know, any marketing or nothing in it like that. How do you think we should approach it now that we know like how NASA worked and now Russia rather didn't necessarily work because people don't know what it is. Sure. How how do you propose? We get it. Get this whole idea out there. Today. Well, well, they launched a, a Twitter a couple of weeks ago, so that's a good start. Uh, oh, so th so there's an official Twitter. There is an official Twitter. I think it's like a, a Australian space agency or something. It right. doesn't currently have a particularly catchy name, right? Australia. Which I really think we go, need a catchy name. I want to go sign up to this one. Just yeah, you could. Australian <laughs> space agency. Into yeah, into Twitter. You should be able to. So, find it. ASA. Okay, it doesn't really. Yeah, no, you know, no, it's NASA. <laughs> it's like yeah. a ripoff of NASA. Yeah. It's, a, it's a cheap Australian knockoff. <laughs> um, it, it needs it needs a good name and it needs a a, a good logo. Yeah. All right. Cool. Ah, yes, I found it. I'm going to follow this. Yeah. Um, good. Hey, look. The the good news is there's already four thousand five hundred people following it, and by the time this podcast comes out. There'll be more. It's great. Okay. Now, Australia has a rich history with regards to space exploration. Yeah. There's people here uh, that have been part of some of the most important missions yeah. in history, but it's not really public knowledge. And you have some stories and some of the people that you interact with have been part of very important, whether it's NASA or the Russian uh, space program related. You mentioned somebody who was um, uh, part of the... Uh, uh, Harry Messel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Professor Harry Messel set up the school, of, like re was one of the key players in setting up the school of physics in uh, University uh, of Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his involvement was uh, he. So, so during uh, Sputnik two, which was like the second Russian, uh, like in nineteen fifty nine. Yeah. Uh, sorry, nineteen fifty seven. I think it's fifty seven. Um, where where there was actually a dog on board called Laika. Uh, they, the, the Harry Messel was one of the people that intercepted these signals wow. that this uh, the spacecraft was putting out, like these radio signals, um, and they were encrypted, right? Right, because again, like this is the start of the Cold War, right? Like it's the start of the space race, yeah. um, 
And what's really interesting is if the, 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 there was a community of space scientists who were like, guys, can we please, like, we want this data. This was really fascinating. Like, there's, um, if the, 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 the codes weren't encrypted and, or, or they were given the access code, there's a good chance they would have found the Van Allen radiation belts, right, like a year before the Americans did. But anyway, so so that's kind of that kind of ties into the importance of like open access science, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's another thing we got to talk about. So there's there's a few exciting sort of yeah. young scientists out there, and like you're you're on the come up, and then people like Alan Duffy. I think sure. you guys need to be you guys need to figure out. You met with one of the most uh, notable names globally when yes. it comes to science communication, Bill Nye. Yes. Um, I think we need a few of you who's sort of influencing sort of the mainstream Australia if the Australian Space Agency were to have sort of like the cult-like following of NASA. Yeah, so so I think the, the what's really interesting is that um, Bill, Alan, and I all look very good in bow ties, <laughs> right? Like that's the uh, actually I had an interesting uh, moment where uh, so so it was uh, lucky enough to hang out with Dr. Carl and Bill Nye at the same time, and I I, I have a bow tie and I brought a, along a spare bow tie for Carl, right? Just in case he didn't have one, and uh, so I had to tie a bow tie onto Dr. Carl. <laughs> As Bill was looking over my shoulder, <laughs> just just like it was, it just felt like the most intense exam. Yeah, there, ever. there, there was some pressure because he'd be like, yeah, "No, yeah. you're doing it no, wrong." No, no, no. He 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 complimented my bow tie. He 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 thought I was okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it's, good. It's very good. Um, talking about Bill Nye, sure. I was listening to part of your conversation with Bill Nye, and Bill, mm-hmm. Bill had an interesting question, and you had an interesting response. Um, I'm going to ask you the same question that Bill oh, asked God. you, which was. So yeah. what is it that we might believe in that uh, with regards to science that we probably will look back and think, well, were we right or were we wrong? Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's I think I, I butchered the question. I think what he said, you remember the question. I'm going to try to find the audio and insert it here. Yeah, sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So what is it that you think we might believe in now that's wrong? I think about that continually. That's a good question for any student, actually. Uh, because what, what, what you and I believe, Bill, each individually is correct, and anybody else is wrong. If oh, absolutely. Wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have to deal with them every day. Now, uh, the, the important thing is your initial answer was everything. That was Tom's. That was not my answer. That wasn't you. That wasn't me. Oh. I, I don't. I don't. I, I actually disagree with Tom on that one. All right. Uh, and then, like uh, for, from what I remember, um, uh, Tom Gordon, who's a, a science communicator at the University of Sydney, uh, his his answer was something like, "Oh, most things. I think our understanding of most things will change." Yeah. And I, I kind of see what he's getting at, but I think I think fundamentally, there's a lot of things that are really well established mm-hmm. that really there's no reason to change them. If that makes sense, like just because. Newton's laws don't work that well for you know uh, for for most things at uh, very very fast speeds and very very big masses or very very small particles doesn't mean they are wrong wrong right right right, right, right. they're they're still within you know like the I don't know like seven standard deviations right. of what is normal right like like they, they work really well for calculating when you throw a bowl yeah, right yeah, or yeah, when yeah. a car crashes into that's another right, car that's right you don't need like einstein's theories for this 
until you get to the size of stars and black holes. I think uh, right, like you know the massive stars. And black uh, holes. Uh, listen to that um, uh, podcast that I'm referring to. Yeah. Um, Somebody mentioned Isaac Asimov in yeah, particular. Me. That was you, right? That was me. I took the time and actually read that essay. Yeah. And that is amazing, it his is explanation. Amazing. So uh, I'm going to give you the privilege to sort of explain <laughs> sure. it. You know, you, there's this awesome story of somebody reaching out to Isaac Asimov and him responding, this is pretty much the crux of the essay. Um, so he said something along the lines of, you know, what is wrong in the eyes of XYZ. Yeah. Do you wanna do you wanna so, tell so the story? I think, I think the, what's the essay is called the relativity of wrong or something. Something along those lines. Something along those lines. And the the crux of it uh, for for me is uh, like in kind of the statement when he says, if you think the Earth is flat, flat. you are wrong. <laughs> if you think the Earth is a globe, if it's a sphere, you're also wrong. Yeah. Right. But like if you think that both of them are wrong in the same way, yeah. you're more wrong than yeah. either of them. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. so so just very well-written, very fancy way of saying that there's yeah. different ways of being wrong. We are in a interesting place where this binary view of the world is quite prevalent. You know, there is the there's there's a very black and white approach. You're right or you're wrong. We're gonna get political in a minute, but sure, the, the, the the point is, uh, it's interesting to see somebody quite a while back explaining yeah. this. And you know, science doesn't necessarily try to prove itself right because you that, can't do that. You know, it, it doesn't make sense. And you, you just, just can't. You, you just know, can't do that. You just mentioned earlier, you know, certain, you know, very valid working scientific theories we yeah. use to measure things at a certain level doesn't necessarily work. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. Right. So now, which brings me to the PhD you're doing. Mm -hmm. You want to be more or less ultimately sort of understanding the science communicators realm. Uh, and you are a science communicator. You are on your way to becoming yeah. a science communicator. How do you communicate something that on the face of it, looks simple but it is not do you have a plan of attack yeah so that's a great question that's a really really good question and i think for for me i like the ideas of uh like researchers in education where, where it's called constructivism right and it's the idea that instead of your role as an educator and i'm not conflating science communication and science education. They're different things, but for this scenario, I think they, they both lead to the same thing, which is um, instead of the educator being this person that stands in front of a blackboard and gives a lecture, right, that, that's just kind of like, here is me disseminating knowledge to you. That's not really effective. Like, like it, it's effective in a lot of cases, but in a lot of cases, it's also not effective. And the thing that I like is just going, hey, what is your understanding of, you know, again, like like Newton's laws, mm -hmm. right? Like, what is your understanding of, uh, like, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Like, like, what does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? Right? Like, write, like, don't, don't write necessarily the equations, but like, you have two cars crashing towards each other, write the force vectors, like, like those kind of things. And then, like, if you get it right, great, fantastic. I don't need to teach you anything, right? But if you get it wrong in a kind of a certain way, I now have a better understanding of where to. So I think I think it's uh, kind of to, to, to make a metaphor. It's kind of like 
just walk over the bridge to the other side to understand where kind of the, 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 the general public or your students or whoever are coming from. Right. Know that they're not stupid for not understanding something. Right. Right. right? right, right. And I think that's actually a really hard thing for science communicators to 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 understand. It's like I've been doing physics all of my life. Right. Right. I've been I've been both of my parents are physicists. I kind of had to. Right. Uh, so it's been a very like I don't remember what it is like to not think like a physicist. So there's a lot of things that seem ridiculously simple to me. And I just need to remind myself, like, that's actually not the case for the average person. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah, it just yeah. means that I need to, you know, I need to work on that level. So which brings me to an interesting um, question. Um, uh, can there be an argument sure. for where it's a bad time to be a science communicator? Um, you know, again, this comes from an earlier conversation we've had yeah. where, you know, uh, there's a there's there's a few amazing science communicators, mm -hmm. um, and the general consensus is more science is better, yeah. right? And you know people like Neil deGrasse Tyson's and Michio Kaku's, uh, you know, explain things just stunningly beautiful, and you just listen to it, you're in awe. Um, but is there an argument for science communication to sort of pause at a point? Yeah, I I I, I don't know. Don't right, know. like so, so. So the simple answer is I don't know, and that is something I uh, I've been thinking a lot about. Mm -hmm. Right, like I, I want to make a career out of science communication. Right, like I, I but I also want to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Right, it's kind of like and is science communication always doing making the world a better place? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Right, maybe not always i think in most cases right i think i think more science communicators more science in general more educated public right like all of those things are good but there is interesting research again in education which um uh, actually derek muller did as part of his phd who now is you know veritasium exactly. right um and basically his research was here are these four videos that teach again something about uh newton's laws mm -hmm. right um and we're going to give you guys a test before, right? Then you're going to watch the video with the explanation, right? And then we're going to give you a test afterwards. And like we just changed the, the, the video. There were four different types. And there were different levels of effectiveness, right? Like, like for one, um, there was basically no learning gain. And for another, there was actually a substantial amount of learning gain. Um, but what was interesting, and this is like statistically significant, for all four videos, the amount of confidence went out by basically the same amount. Right. So the group that learned basically nothing, their confidence increased just as much as the group that learned quite a bit. Right. And th like that, I've been thinking about the result for maybe like a year now. Right. And it's kind of like, isn't that kind of what science communicators do? We try to explain things as clearly and as concisely as possible. Derek's research seems to show that that's not always particularly effective, but the confidence goes up. So, uh, it's like, w w the, w is the sample size? It was a sample from significant. Sort of, so, significant sample, and is the, uh, uh, is the sample size from sort of academia? Yeah, or? it was first year physics students. Right. right? I, I I think that maybe this is. Sure, sure, hypothesis, sure, sure, sure. but I, I would say, if you're a university student, if you're a, a you know a studying a certain stream, there is 
a certain set of expectations you have. Yeah. Um, science communicators speaking to a mainstream audience w- would have a different, different impact. Sure. For I think if you're going down the academic route, maybe I, I can see how that would work. But if it's the mainstream audience, 100%. I think it would be a different impact because the sheer number of people that I have spoken to, because I've had the privilege of hanging out with few people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and you know Richard Dawkins and whatnot, people knowing certain science factoids purely because they watched a bunch of YouTube clips. A uh, few people knowing, you know, yeah, 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 biological totally, facts. Totally, of, totally. You know, so... Don't, I, I, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of, like, like, like I learned a lot about all types of sciences, mm. right, from watching YouTube. Yeah, right. Right, and from reading books. It's yeah. kind of like, like there, there's no doubt that a lot of informal learning still happens. I'm not, I'm not denying mm-hmm. that, that that's a good thing. What, what I am trying to say, though, is maybe it's really important to remind people that just because you watch the YouTube video doesn't mean that you're necessarily an expert, yeah. right? Like, and that, 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 that's an important, uh, like, p- potentially for me, it's just kind of like, hey, at the end of the day, please think for yourself, yeah. 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 right? Like, I am just another, you know, guy in an ivory tower that is hoping to get his doctorate someday and right. blah, blah, blah. Like, like, don't trust me because hopefully I'll have doctor in front of my name, right? right? And don't trust Neil deGrasse Tyson because he's Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Like, people are still people. People still get things wrong. I'm not saying don't take their knowledge for someone else's ignorance, right? But I am saying read the original paper if you want to, right? right? Like, 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 if you want to become an expert in physics, go do a physics degree. So... Right, like... I, 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 I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, now, all this talk about science communication mm-hmm. was actually leading to a video I want to show. This is, um, so the original video is about an hour and a half, but this is like a four minute exit. Um, and now you can, I will link to the, you know, uh, original video. Um, but this is a bit old, so this happened some time ago. I don't know if you've ever seen it. So this happened in 2016 at UCT Science Faculty in, I believe, uh, South, South Africa. I'm going to play this video and then... Is this the decolonizing science one? Yes. Is this okay. the, the magic is lightning? Yes. Okay, so you have seen it, but for anybody who hasn't uh, have not heard it, we'll play a little bit of it now. explain to somebody who as a science communicator so uh, the the girl who's making these claims um she obviously have genuine grievances um that that potentially that relating to uh you know uh black african people and you know south africa at one point was a very racist country um uh you know but but in the context of what she's talking about she's in my understanding of science, 
it, it feels it's quite obvious that she the way she sees or uses the word science is very different to what science is so as a science communicator sure. how do you let's say you're in this position right you have to address a group of people who say things like science has to restart we have to uh, science from a african perspective how do you address somebody who potentially may have some grievances, but how do you address somebody like that without offending them? Well, okay, like, oh, I think I think we should we should separate what we think science is mm -hmm. and what it should be. And what science should be is this objective, self-correcting, rigorous way to study, you know, the nature of reality, right? And it needs to map on to like the, like it needs to give us a good predictive map of the universe, right? So that is what it should be. And I think in a lot of cases it is. But it is also a, a messy and ugly human endeavor that is, you know, just 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 influenced by humans and influenced by human history and human history is not good to minority groups like i think it's incredibly important that we increase the amount of uh women who are studying physics right like for, for other sciences it's maybe a little bit more even but with physics it's 80 20 it's right. 80 80 men 20 percent women and that sucks right and that sucks for a lot of reasons and one of like the most kind of like even if you're a, a, a person that just doesn't care about, you know, individual people and women's rights and blah, blah, blah. Like, it sucks for a reason of, like, there are just simply less brains working on physics problems. Like, the more brains that we have working on physics problems, the better, right, in my opinion, right? Like, I start with going, like, look, there there is a... Uh, our historical problems with science and potentially the way that we're teaching it and all these kind of things. What I would say about the, the, the rest of that, though, is just because there are historical problems, right, doesn't mean that all of science is faulty and wrong and that we should restart it and give it a different perspective. It's kind of like, well, maybe in your classrooms, right, like you can, like there, there, there's cases of simultaneous discovery everywhere and not simultaneous discovery, like Snell's law, right? It's the, the law that basically governs the, the angle that, at which uh, light, and actually sound, funnily enough, um, changes, uh, like the, the angle that the light goes at when it enters a different medium. So so for glass or for water, um, it's called Snell's Law. After this Dutch guy, uh, Will, William Wilborough Snellius or something like that. He had a mm. lovely mustache. Right. Um, but it was the, the, the first written case of it was uh, 981 by a like an Arab scholar, right. right? Ibn Sal, right? Like, and he, like, he, he, and like, so, 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 like, yeah, like like there there there's like a lot of science is like a lot of scientific discoveries are named after men and they're usually named after white men, right? For for just the terrible quirk of history. So so like I, I can understand the, the, the genuine grievance, right? And like sure, maybe in your science classrooms talk about 
the like in the Australian case, it's like talk about the discoveries of the indigenous astronomers, right? Like there, there's they're there, and there there is actually a record of it, and we can see it, and there's actually really amazing papers about it, right? So so please include that in the like the the curriculum. But how do you then tackle when she makes a claim about sort of somebody? magically wishing a lightning bolt on somebody else you, at, at that point uh, at that point you go you're not doing science right right like but but like I, I'm not sure if I, I would say that directly right like mm -hmm. I, I would just be like that's not like if a person is genuinely summoning a lightning bolt like please give me the evidence i would like to study this that would be super cool that would be right? like, you know, like we have a super i, I, a super I, I, I I'm, not, I'm not saying that this is like something that uh like there's no chance of this existing right, right? like it's probably not breaking any like the way that she's phrasing it it's probably not breaking any laws of physics it's just incredibly weird and unlikely and it's the case is like it's probably not black magic it's probably the tesla coil that they right. strapped on their back you know like yes yes there would be a, so what you're saying is that there would be a scientific explanation that we can sort of comprehend i mean i mean there's probably this it's probably not a thing that is happening no i don't but think if, so. it was, if it was i'm sure there is still a scientific, scientific explanation, explanation for it you know um all right so Still on the realm of energy, but I'm going to bring it back to yeah. Australia. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was tough. <laughs> <laughs> Deliberately, because, uh, look, I, I, the context is, when I first saw this, I was, my jaw dropped, I couldn't believe what I was hearing yeah, and how this is this is an actual thing that's happening. Uh, and this came out the time where sort of the, uh, there's a large movement in America where, um, um, free speech was being challenged uh, at places that you would it was unimaginable at a university where you know generally you can debate um, you know challenging you know subject matter philosophical or scientific you can do that I mean university is mm. more or less custom built for that but there, there, there is there's you know this was the 2016 where it's sort of the beginning of this sure. you know big movements to shut free speech happen so for me it's important like you as a science, uh, science communicator as you move into a realm where there's a uh, you know a relatively large group of you know young people who may have um, for the right reasons they may think this is they want their intention is good but they think along these lines then you are faced with the challenge how do you talk to these uh, you know uh, young people and then that's what I wanted that's what that was mm. the purpose of yeah, my sure, question sure 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 for sure um, with that said let's bring it back to Australia still about energy completely changing the subject matter sure 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 um I want to I want to ask you about um uh, Australia, whether we, you know, we, we we like to admit it or not, we we've had an energy crisis for a little while, in the sense of you know, there's places in Australia where we had blackouts, and Elon Musk has to come and build the largest battery, and um, Australia also has a, a government um, that historically um, the current government have been more leaning towards uh, traditional methods of creating sure. energy, less towards sort of renewable energy. Yeah. And there's also a, an energy source that is almost like a taboo. People don't want to talk about it, which is nuclear. Oh, wow. Right? Okay, we're going there. All right. I want to know from you being a physicist, you have a decent understanding. I've, I've seen you, you talking to people who try to understand fusion and fission energy. Sure. The, the question is this. Is there... A, a realistically uh, safe 
ways for us Australians to explore an avenue of nuclear energy. Okay, so so I wanna I wanna but before we go there, I wanna yeah. talk about uh, difference between fusion and fission. fission. Yes. So 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 fusion is what the sun does. Yeah. Right. Uh, you basically take light, usually light atoms, uh, light molecules, and put them together, and you create something heavier, and that happens to release a bunch of energy. Right. So so that's uh, what the sun does with uh, like helium, helium. Uh, sorry, hydrogen, hydrogen, and it creates helium. Right. Or um, so so this is. Uh, this is something that happens. Like this is something that humans can do. It's just you need more energy. You need to put more energy into the system than you're currently getting out of it. Um, there are physicists who are studying this. Uh, a bunch of my friends, right? Like they they did their honors projects, doing exactly that, trying to increase the rates of fusion, right? So so that's really cool because the negative externality from it is water right oh no right, right. water water is the waste product from right. this then there is uh, fission which is what we usually think of when you talk about nuclear energy. energy and it's taking like uranium plutonium plutonium whatever and it's uh, breaking apart falling apart into lighter elements um, and also releasing a bunch of energy and we use basically like, like that heat to heat up a cauldron basically and then spin turbines right what do i think about nuclear energy for australia i don't know i'm not a nuclear like i'm not an energy specialist right. i'm not also a risk kind of management specialist right. as a science communicator my opinion is i don't know as a person i think i'm leaning more towards like 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 the best case is solar and wind, you know, like, let's get on that as quick as possible. Currently, that is not happening. And I worry more about climate change, the huge detrimental effects of climate change uh, from the basically burning coal, which mm -hmm. is what we're doing. This is how we're powering our lights in Australia. I worry about the negative effects of climate change more than I worry about the potential risks of, of nuclear. Of nuclear, right? Um, you know, Australia is not the Soviet Union. Australia is not like 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 we're we're stable both politically and with kind of health and safety, and we're also stable from yeah, earthquakes. Yeah, earthquakes, right, right, right. Right. Um, so the the kind of the two big. I mean, Three Mile Island as well. But like the, 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 the two biggest kind of catastrophes with that were Chernobyl and Fukushima, mm -hmm. right? Chernobyl is can be just due to overworked crew and not enough health and safety regulations. And Fukushima is because of a ridiculously, you know, ridiculously powerful earthquake and a very, very strong tsunami, right? So assuming that we kind of manage all of these contingencies, like a, like the, the 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 risks are managed, I yeah I I would I could vote for like a a party that promotes nuclear energy. Nuclear energy. Um, um, but that's something that I think we should be like discussing, right? Like like I don't 
tend to talk about it that much because it's very unpopular. Yes, yes. The right, idea of nuclear is directly associated with Fukushima and yeah, Chernobyl yeah, 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 yeah. because it is a disaster waiting to happen is the general narrative. Um, which brings in, uh, you know, the next thing I want to talk to you about, which is who are your favorite YouTubers who's uh, doing science? Yeah, cool. Uh, I, this is... Uh, Derek Muller, mm-hmm. so Veritasium. Yes. Uh, he's kind of the reason I'm in Sydney. Yeah, right. Uh, Destin from Smarter Every Day. He's absolutely incredible. Henry from Metaphysics. If you haven't seen Three Blue, One Brown, he's an incredible uh, person at explaining maths really clearly. Uh, I'm going I, to make a note because I'm yeah, good at maths. Please, please do. Uh, Vanessa, Vanessa Hill. Uh, well, what is it? Th- three Blue? Three Blue, One Brown. One Brown. Uh, yeah, like blue, brown. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so Vanessa Hill from Braincroft, I think she does great work. Uh, the the Michael from Vsauce and yes. Jake, Jake from Vsauce. Yeah, they're just so so very good. Yeah, there's a there's a, a uh, one of my friends uh, called uh, Toby. Her her channel is Tibies T I B E S. She's very cool. Right, she does a lot of really cool stuff. There's just honestly, yeah, just a plethora right like a cornucopia right, of right. amazing that's that, that that's that's pretty amazing that because uh, i think a, a lot of people have uh, like for me really my interest into certain scientific subject matter i can generally find a reasonably well-researched yeah. youtuber explaining that yeah um but the same token you can also find uh, somebody explaining mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why they're this flat as well. And mm-hmm. some of these videos have incredible number of views. Mm-hmm. Uh, how should an average individual um, uh, pick the difference between what know, is, what is scientific what fact and, you know, like, it's, it's not that simple, right? You think it is. For a physicist, you yeah, probably yeah, see the sure, failure. Sure, sure. For a layman, you may fall into a trap of going down a rabbit hole that is somebody like Deepak Chopra. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, maybe the the, the 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 correct answer, if there is a correct answer, is having a country with really good education systems. Right. You know, hopefully, like by the time you finish school, you are qualified enough to tell the difference between what is real and what isn't, and what is. But honestly, that's really hard. It's very hard. Um, I think. I think. Yeah, like that—that's genuinely like an incredibly difficult question because I think I think you kind of need to understand a, a little bit about how not only science works and like how it should work, but how it does in reality. Mm-hmm. So you need to go, oh, this paper that this person has referenced was published in Nature. Nature is much better than deepactchopra.com. Right. Right? Like, 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 maybe one is a very credible source and the other one isn't. I'm not saying that nature is infallible. Yes. Right? Like, people do make mistakes. Mistakes get published. Published, yes, yes, yes. But just because that's true doesn't mean that one is m- more correct than the other. Yeah, right? right? Like, right. Um, yeah. so I, I, I don't know. But the... the, the so I, I wanted to ask you this because... I've had conversations with uh, people that I, I interact outside of the This Is 42 universe where, um, you know, uh, science is not something they were really interested in mm-hmm. in school per se, but now they, uh, they've they entered into a realm um, where 
it sounds scientific, but it is not really science. For example, I've had somebody recently telling me about, um, they started a conversation about energy um and i was okay i have a general understanding of energy in a sort of scientific context but i soon realized what she was talking about uh, energy in the sense of uh, chakras chakras and stuff (laughs) and the reason i asked this question is for them for for somebody who believes in that stuff you can go to youtube you can go to podcasts you can find uh, you know new age is a, a legitimate section yeah, yeah, in yeah, bookstores book yeah. right so the, the 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 challenge is i think as a science communicator you know all science communicators have uh, a responsibility to figure out a way for the masses to pick what yeah. is what right yeah but I, I, so, so there's a there's a chapter in Carl Sagan's book, The Demon Haunted World: Science as a Candle in the Dark, called uh, the Baloney Detector. Right. Right, and it's that in that chapter he just kind of outlines like here are my best tips of determining what is science from what is pseudoscience. Right. So Carl Sagan, uh, for people who are really interested in science, uh, have a really uh, we know who Carl Sagan is. Sure. But again, for today's mainstream audience. Carl Sagan is not a no, household no, name. No, you know, I mean, Neil is. N- that's true. That's true. So, but we need more Neils, right? Sure. <laughs> you know, it's, but we also need uh, Neils. What I would call like a like a superstar level. Yeah, right? yeah he's, totally. he's he's the, the the mainstream performer. But then there's more need to be out there. Such as this is what you're trying to sure, yeah, do. Yeah. So what Derek is doing. So again, which brings back yeah, to there's the, a few the, steps yeah. between me and Derek and, and Derek and Neil. <laughs> Neil right? Yeah, there's, there's a fair few steps there. No, but, not necessarily in quality. It's just like Derek's <laughs> Derek's work is really great. It's yes, just like yes, yes. the um, millions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Derek is great. But but the point I'm trying to make is um I feel as there is still an audience that um, sort of science communicators such as yourself and Derek and Neil have not been able to reach. Yeah. Um, and this audience requires a scientific and a philosophical approach. I think uh, because Australia is a, a, an amazing place to live, but Australia is largely a secular country. A very large part of this country it doesn't identify with any religion. I feel as some... It's from, from this large pool, people are replacing the traditional religions with sort of this finding meaning and purpose through sort of new age avenues. Sure. And that that group of people aren't necessarily interested in science in sort of how Derek would explain or Neil would explain. Mm. I think there needs, that's what I mean by uh, there needs to be science communicators who are willing to sort of tackle a little bit of philosophy within the context of science so you can attempt to answer morality questions through science, um, you know, ethical questions through science. Science generally, like I know Neil doesn't necessarily go down that path that much. For you, what you're doing, do you feel like it's important, or I'm? I, I I think it's really it's really tricky, right? Because I I'm not in the business of telling people what to think. Sure. Right. I I don't I don't I, and especially I don't want to be telling people how to live their lives. Sure. Right. Like I I don't know how to live my life. Right. Like I'm <laughs> definitely no authority to. Um. 
I'm maybe one of the kind of the, 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 the weirder side of science people that thinks that you science does give us a lot of uh, answers to moral questions and a lot of ethical questions. That's maybe a, a that's another hour long conversation, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so you're, you're, you're kind of asking how do we... So, so my question is, do, do, yeah, um, um, uh, my question really is, do you think I have a point here that you know scientists do need to dabble in philosophy to attract an audience that normally doesn't uh, get into science? So, for example, like my, the, the person I was talking about, uh, she wouldn't really necessarily be interested in sort of uh, looking yeah, sure, at how sure, fusion sure. and fusion work, sure, but sure, she would sure. be interested in working out um, certain philosophical questions about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things that I like actively try to do as a science communicator isn't necessarily like I want I want to engage people on an emotional level, mm -hmm. right? Like like science for me is an incredibly emotional thing, right? Like, um, I, I, I talked a little bit about uh, life on Enceladus, right? Like one of the moons of Saturn, right? There's, in my opinion, right? Like from all the data that we have, there seems to be a really decent chance that there's some sort of life, right? There's water and there's heat, right? And for listeners who are listening to Just for the Podcast, go check out Cafe Classroom. The link will be down somewhere, which explains what we are talking about here. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But like, so so there's water and there's heat. There's a really decent chance that there's life. I know that like that's, I'm kind of pitching it as a science, like cool science fact. Mm -hmm. But for, for me, it's so much more. And like, hopefully for other people, it's so much more, right? It's kind of like, there is maybe life on another planet that is not, I see. So you're telling, like, you know, it's you, you're telling a creation story, it, 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 like a kind of right, but yes, like, like, is right. evolution a creation story anyway? Yes. Right, like this is the thing. So he, he uh, you know, you just, you know, uh, I've been trying to wrap up this conversation, but sorry, I can't. This, so, this is so interesting. Uh, you know, uh, you don't need to apologize. It's just me because I think one of the things religion got really uh, well is to tell stories. Yeah, yeah, 100%. creation story, right? Evolution, you're absolutely right. It is a creation story, but it is not told as a creation story in the sense of a, from a, st a storytelling perspective. It is, uh, I, I, I feel... Good writers. Yes. Like, 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 there's a wonderful, um, what was it, Adam, I forgot his name. He's uh, he, he wrote a book called uh, A Brief History of Almost Everyone that came out a couple of years ago and just a new one that I just started reading right. uh, called The Book of Humans. Book of Humans. Um, Let me have a look. And uh, so, so he's he's a brilliant writer from... He's a geneticist and a brilliant writer from the UK. Adam Rutherford. Adam Rutherford. Yes. That's the one. Right. Like, like so I, I think that there is there is actually a big push in science communication towards storytelling. Mm -hmm. And, like, that that's something that I'm really interested in. Right. Like, like right. As, as a... I want to figure out how to tell better stories in general. Yes. But the, the main goal is how do we tell better stories about science? And, Peter, I'm looking forward to reading some of your stories, hearing some of your stories. Sure, I really sure, appreciate sure. you coming in to This Is 42 podcast. My pleasure. Uh, we'll definitely have you in again down the track. Sounds fun. Thank you so cool. much, Cool, thank you. Awesome. Cool. Hi guys, thank you so much for watching. If you like this video and want more, don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a comment because we'd love to hear what you think. Until next time.